0: Well, good afternoon everyone, it's good to be back with you and if you would go on and open your Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 25 and we are going to look at that particular section of scripture verses 19 through 24 which Richard read for us just a few minutes ago. But before we actually look back at that text, I'm sure that throughout your life you've realized that you can learn a lot through observing different families. Some things will be good, like how to treat your children, how to treat your spouse, the way that you're supposed to function as a unit. But then there's also families that you've looked at and said, you know, we might not want to do that. You've seen some dysfunctional families where they don't get along. There's a lot of arguing. There's a lot of complaining. And you learn those are things we don't want to do in our family. Well, this afternoon, I would like us to look into Scripture and actually view The family of Isaac. Now, if you remember, Isaac was Abraham's son, and it was through Isaac that God's covenant would continue to be fulfilled. Now, considering that Isaac was such a major character and a major player in God's covenant promise, you would expect Isaac's life to be somewhat easy almost. You would expect his family life to be smooth. I mean, this is somebody that God was going to use to fulfill his covenant. You would expect things to go pretty well for him. But as we'll see, Isaac's family wasn't the Cleaver family of ancient times. Yes, they had some very good traits, but they also had their flaws and things that they struggled with. They were a family that was full of tension. And so there are many lessons that we can learn from the family of Isaac, and I want to look at those this afternoon because hopefully they'll help us grow closer to God and help us maintain the spiritual blessings that God has given all of us. And if you don't mind, I would like to read our text one more time before we dig in in detail, beginning in verse 19 of Genesis chapter 25. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son, Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was forty years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife, because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, the older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, and his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was sixty years old when she bore him. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of What use is my birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Well, at the very beginning of verse 19, we have the introduction to Isaac's family. And it simply says, these are the generation's Of Isaac, And just as a side note, anytime you come across that phrase, these are the generations of fill in the blank, you're going to see that a lot in Genesis. That's basically going to an indication to you that what you're about to read is a portion of scripture dedicated to that particular individual. So these are the generations of is typically always an introduction to the next portion of scripture dealing with uh, that particular person. But it says in verse 20 that Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to be his wife. And of course, the scripture tells us that Rebekah was unable to conceive. Now, if you remember, this is the exact same problem that her mother-in-law, Sarah, had, wasn't it? She was unable to conceive as well. And I highly doubt that that was coincidence, but rather a way for God's providence and God's wisdom to be shown. And not just to strengthen the faith of those immediately involved, like Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebekah, but to strengthen the faith of all those who are aware of the situation. They could look at that and say, here's another woman in this same family who is barren. Yet despite all reasonable logic, she's able to conceive and give birth. They saw that the children that came forth were undoubtedly born of God, and God's hand was involved. And in a similar way, way, we too as Christians can see that our existence, born believers, isn't by anything that we have done as individuals, but we are born as Christians through God and by God. John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13 says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so our birth as Christians wasn't because anything that man did, but because of God. Verse 21 tells us that not only was Rebecca barren, but that Isaac prayed on behalf of his wife. Now remember, part of God's covenant promise To Abraham, Isaac's father, was that he and his descendants would have many offspring. Now, Isaac certainly had to be aware of this promise. He had to have known that he was the child of Abraham through which that promise was to be fulfilled. Yet, regardless, we still see Isaac praying on behalf of Rebekah. There are two important things that that tells us. One is just because God promises something, doesn't mean that it's going to happen immediately or going to happen easily. Remember, Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah. They waited 20 years before the children God had promised came. That's a lot of time for them to have wondered, for their faith to have been tested, for their patience to have been tested. Yet we don't see Isaac taking matters into his own hands like his father Abraham did. Instead, we see him praying. We see him looking to God and hoping and putting his trust and faith in him. The second thing is that Isaac did pray for the promise of God. That's something important. Isaac prayed that the promise of God be fulfilled. If God promises something, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God will fulfill that promise. Numbers chapter 23, verse 19 tells us that God does not lie. God has given us as Christians many promises. Victory over sin, provision of our daily needs, uh, peace in times of trouble. There are a number of things that God has promised us. But simply because God promised it to us doesn't mean that we should ever stop praying for it. Christians can't just sit back and expect all of these blessings from God to be poured out on us. When we pray to God for the promises that he's already made to us, we're basically motivating us. It should motivate us to pray for those things which will in turn strengthen our faith. So prayer is a means of accepting and receiving the promises of God. Verse 21 says, that the Lord answered the prayers of Isaac. And so Isaac teaches us that we should never stop praying to God, even for things that he has already promised us. Verse 22 tells us that the children struggled together within her. Now that Hebrew word for struggled means crush or bruise. And so this indicates that this was much more than the normal kicks and turns that a pregnant woman would typically feel. With both of our children, my wife experienced those kicks and those turns. And yes, they could be uncomfortable at times, especially when they kick you in the organs. But this seemed to be something a little bit more than just that. Something that would have caused extreme discomfort, maybe intense levels of pain. And also something that maybe even caused her to worry about the safety of the children are they okay? This doesn't seem normal. But again, Isaac and rebecca they had that promise of children. They had waited 20 years. And so this pain that was going on, this jostling inside of her caused her, they asked God, if it is so, why then am I this way? Or other translations say, why is this happening to me? And how many times have we asked that question ourselves? Why is this happening to me? There are times when we think things in life should go a certain way. We think, well, I'll just do X, Y, and Z, and then I'll be at my destination. I'll have accomplished my goal or whatever. But all of a sudden, something changes. Something unexpected pops up. And it takes a drastic turn, and we all of a sudden become concerned, or we become frustrated. Oftentimes in those situations, we'll go to family or we'll go to friends or we'll go to members of the church. And while, of course, those people can be helpful and provide us with some level of comfort, they ultimately can't provide all of the answers. And so we need to be like Rebecca. When she was confused and when she was concerned, she sought answers first and foremost from God. Now understand that God is not always going to give us a clear and direct answer like he gave Rebecca here. His answer to us may just be simply to continue to walk by faith and put your trust in me. But we can have the confidence that if we are faithful to him, he hears our prayers and he will answer. And so Rebecca teaches us that when God's people are frustrated, when God's people are confused, we are to look to him in prayer. Verse 23, we see God answering Rebekah's prayer. And he tells her that it's not just two children that are in your womb, but two nations. And the turmoil that she is experiencing is simply a preview of the life that these nations would have in the future. From later events in Genesis, we know that the two nations within her are the Israelites, which descended from Jacob, and the Edomites, which descend from Esau and throughout practically all of biblical history, these two groups of people were at odds with each other. God also alludes in verse 23 that the firstborn, Esau, would ultimately serve the younger brother, Jacob. And in those days, it was custom for the firstborn to receive a double portion of the inheritance, to get the blessing of their father. However, God knew that it was going to be Jacob who would be the one who would receive those blessings and those benefits. And that is what is meant when God says the older shall serve the younger. Well, why is that important to us? Well, it tells us something very, very specific, that God does not bless people based on man's standards. His blessings aren't specifically reserved for people born into a certain social class, a certain family, or any other way that man might define success or greatness. Galatians chapter 3 verse 28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so all of us, whether we were the firstborn, whether we were the youngest, whether we were born into royalty, whether, whether we were born into poverty, All of us have a choice in whether or not we receive the blessings of God. It's all our choice. A child could grow up in the most godly, the most righteous family, and everyone around could say, you know, that child is going to grow up to be a great servant of the Lord. But that isn't always the case. Because individuals grow up and they can reject the new life that God has to offer them. They can reject his forgiveness. They can reject his mercy. And so, yes, Esau was the firstborn. And by man's customs, by man's expectations, by man's standards, he was destined to be the one to receive the blessings. But as we're going to see, he rejected the blessings, just like we can be guilty of doing ourselves. And so in verse 24, we learned the birth took place just like God said it would. She delivers twins. And then we learn that the first child comes out and he was red. And his whole body was hairy, like a hairy garment. And because of that, they named him Esau because Esau means rough or hairy. Verse 26, Jacob follows. And all indications are that Jacob was a soft and sweet little newborn like any other newborn would be. But there is something that's important to note about the way Jacob followed Esau. Because he followed Esau clinging on to Esau's heel. Jacob literally means he grasps the heel. That's what the name Jacob means. And to me, and I think most everybody else, that represents the life that those two brothers were going to have with each other. Even though Esau was the firstborn, even though he was supposed to be the one who benefited from that, It was going to be Jacob who would grasp his heel, who would trip him up, who would take advantage of him and take that blessing away. In verse 27, we learn about the two men and how they grew up and they quickly took very separate paths in life. Jacob which says that he was a, a man who worked among the tents. Esau, a skillful hunter in the fields. Jacob, working among the tents, Uh, probably tells us that he preferred the comfort, the consistency, the daily routine that came with working the domestic life. He found solitude and contentment in that. In my mind, I equate that to a man who prefers office work. He goes into the office every single day. He sits down at the same computer every day. He grabs a cup of coffee in the morning, and he does similar work throughout the day, something like I do at my job. And then contrast that with Esau a man of the wilderness a skilled hunter he was rugged he was adventurous he loved spending time outdoors he found thrill and enjoyment in capturing prey esau was the bear grills of the hebrews that's the type of man that he was and because esau had that type of personality it probably meant that he lived by impulse and instinct and those two things can be very good things they can be strengths in a lot of ways But for Esau, they would ultimately prove to be his weakness. Verse 28 tells us an interesting point, that each parent had their favorite child, and for seemingly different reasons. Isaac loved the man Esau had become. From what we know about Isaac, it doesn't appear that he was the rough and rugged man that Esau was. Isaac seemed to be just a calm man throughout his life. And so it may have appealed to Isaac to have a son who was skilled in the outdoors, who could cook wild game. That may have been something that Isaac <coughs> was proud of. Rebecca, on the other hand, loved Jacob. And although it does not specifically say why she loved Jacob, it may have been that she preferred Him, because he enjoyed staying among the tents. They had a greater opportunity to bond and to get to know each other better. Or it could have simply been that she remembered that God said, the older shall serve the younger. And she knew something was going to come along that he would benefit. But regardless, showing favoritism towards children can be harmful to a family. Even though parents may have more in common with one child than the other, that does not give them a reason to show favoritism. Because the purpose of parenting is to guide, to instruct, to raise, to raise the family in unity. And that's something that, as parents, we have to keep in mind. And obviously something Isaac and Rebecca struggled with. Showing favoritism really affected the life of Isaac. Because if you remember later on in Genesis 27... We see the family pitted against each other as Isaac tries to bless Esau, but Rebekah and Jacob lie and deceive him and coax him in to giving (coughs) giving Jacob the blessing. And so showing favoritism can definitely divide the family. Jacob's favoritism showed also in later on in his own life when he showed favoritism towards his wives. And even more memorable, Jacob showed favoritism towards his favorite son, Joseph. This is something that continued to get passed down from generation to generation. Verses 29 and 30, oddly enough, we see the hunter, Esau, coming back from the fields, famished, asking his brother Jacob, if he could have some of that red stew that he had been preparing. And that's actually where the name uh, Edomites come from, or the land of Eden, Edom, from red. Edom means red, and so that's where that comes from. In verses 31 through 33, we see some sibling rivalry taking place where Jacob takes advantage of his brother's starvation. He attempts to strike a deal with him. Jacob says, listen, if you want some of this stew, you've got to do something you've got to sell me your birthright. Remember, the birthright belonged to Esau. Since he was the firstborn, he was entitled to receive the double inheritance. He was entitled to the power to receive the blessings from God's covenant with Abraham by providing land and, and many offspring. But despite this amazing power, despite the power that the birthright provided, both physical and spiritual, Esau examined his situation and said, Listen, if I don't eat, I'm going to die. And I would say that that was slightly exaggerated. I'd say he could have found food somewhere. I'd say even he probably knew in his heart of hearts that he wasn't going to die, but he became impassioned with the idea of a meal right then and there. And so he sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. And verse 34 tells us that he ate the stew and he got up and he went on his way. Doesn't seem like he gave much thought to the decision that he just made. Didn't take into account the weight of what he just did. He didn't try to plead with his brother, make a compromise. Hey, maybe we could strike a deal. Maybe I don't have to give you my birthright. Maybe I could do something else. No. He didn't later go to his father and try and reverse what had just happened. In other words, there was no sense of remorse, no sense of repentance, no true understanding of what he had just done. And because of this decision, the text says that Esau despised his birthright. In the New Testament, Hebrews 12, verses 15 and 16 says, "'See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, "'that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble.'" And by it may be defiled, that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. And so Esau teaches us in this example that spiritual blessings can easily be lost by living for the moment. Esau wanted instant gratification, he was hungry, and he wanted to be full right then and right there. And he was so consumed by that feeling that he disregarded the future blessings that his birthright would bring simply to satisfy a physical desire. And we need to be careful that we don't fall into the same type of trap because every single one of of us will be presented opportunities to live in the moment, to satisfy our own physical desires. It It may be making a quick buck in a dishonest way it may be cheating on a spouse it may be talking bad about somebody to make yourself look better we are all going to face with moments to satisfy ourselves and we have to be careful that we don't unfortunately there are many people who live their lives like this on instinct on impulse and make terrible decisions time and time again their whole lives focused on what they can get now, and they'll go to great lengths to get it. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 19, that those people are enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction, their God is their appetite, their glory is in their shame, and they set their minds on earthly things. And because Esau lived for the moment, he forever lost the blessings that he had in the palm of his hands even when he had a change of heart and he desired to get the blessings back, God's answer to him was no. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 17 says, For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. As children of God, we've all been privileged with a birthright. A birthright that entitles us to freedom in Christ and the inheritance of eternity with him in heaven. And so the question is, what are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with that birthright? Are we going to cling on to it as the priceless possession that it truly is? Or are we going to squander it like Esau did to satisfy the cares and the desires of this world? if you've not become a child of God, if you've not received your birthright, God is ready and waiting to bless you with it. But it's up to you to accept it. And the only way to do that is to turn away from your sin, to confess that Jesus Christ is truly the Son of God and to be buried with Christ in baptism. It's then that you're going to receive the most beautiful gift that the world has ever known. And these are the lessons that we can learn from the family of Isaac. I know that we highlighted four of them, but there are many sprinkled throughout, and I hope that they've been a benefit to you. We've seen that Isaac taught us that when we're in need, we're to pray. Rebecca taught us that when we're frustrated or when we're confused, we go to God in prayer. Jacob taught us that God's blessings aren't reserved for those who are destined to be great by man's standards. And Esau told us that we can throw away our spiritual blessings to please the passions of life. If you have become a Christian and you have wandered off and you're living in sin, this would be an excellent time for you to come and let us pray for you, let us help you. If you're struggling with your family, if there's anything that we can do this would be an excellent moment if we can help you in any way please come forward as together we stand and as we sing